Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. As photographers, we all buy, collect and look at photo books. It's part of what we are, isn't it? It's where we get our inspiration and it's where we kind of, I suppose, make a connection to the photography of other people in that physical form. But those books are most often photographer monographs or collections of images brought together by a theme or an exhibition. But how aware are we of academic publishing on photography? Well, let me just give you an idea of just how many books have been published and are being published over these coming months and their titles and the subjects uh, that they're covering. So let's go for a, a brief list. The Camera as Actor, Photography and the Embodiment of Technology. Contemporary Art, Photography and the Politics of Citizenship. Elevate the Masses, Alexander Gardner, Photography and Democracy in 19th Century America. Experimental self-portraits in early French photography. Fragmentation of the photographic image in the digital age. Grief, the biography of a Holocaust photograph. Heritage, photography and the effective past. The materiality of exhibition photography in the modernist era. Form, content, consequence. No power without an image. Icons between photography and film. Photography, reconstruction and the cultural history of the post-war European city. Victorian negatives, literary culture and the dark side of photography in the 19th century. I think you get the idea. There's a huge amount of photographic books being published within the academic uh, environment. And those books are very, very specific and are going into great depth and great research. The majority of them are published by just a few publishers. Routledge is the biggest. It's the big academic publisher. And over recent years, they've been buying up a lot of other publishers as well. So the writer gets paid very little in these books, if at all. And what we're talking about with very little, we might be just talking a few hundred pounds for work that may take many years. There's no marketing when the book comes out. And the images in the books, are, and including on the cover, are paid for by the author, who's quite often an academic needing to get that book as part of their research. The books are designed on templates. A few are edited. Print run numbers are kind of secretive. I've tried to find out on a number of occasions how many of my books were printed, and I've never been able to. It's even more difficult to find out about your royalties as well, I can tell you that. They're expensive to buy. And as time goes by, they become more expensive. So why do they exist? Well, why are they so expensive? And what is the deal with academic publishing on photography? Well, basically, as I briefly alluded to, as an academic, you have to have outputs. And the most obvious output for a writer is a book. That output becomes part of your research profile. And I'm not going to go into it in a huge amount of detail here because a lot of you listening aren't academics and perhaps this isn't of interest to you. But suffice to say, the people writing these books are passionate about their subjects but can get consumed by the uh, publishing rules of academic publishing. Why are they so expensive? Because they get bought by academic institutions for their library and those academic institutions have to have the books. So the publisher is in a very strong position there. Overall, 
I think it's a great shame. I'd love to read some of those books. But the problem will be that they're not obvious to us. You may not know that they even exist. So academic publishing, when it comes to photography, is almost like this kind of secret thing happening in the dark shadows. I'd like to bring it out into the light. I'd like academic publishers to actually engage with the photographic community, not just the academic community. I'd like them to see it as being part of what we do and part of our learning. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. Last week's episode had a slight kind of editorial tinge to it and a story I saw in the last week on Guardian Online I thought was well worth sharing with you. A Rolling Stone magazine is offering thought leaders the chance to write for its website if they're willing to pay $2,000 to shape the future of culture. The magazine approached would-be members of its new Culture Council by email, telling them that they had the chance to join an invitation-only community for innovators, influencers and tastemakers. Emails seen by The Guardian suggest that those who pass a vetting process and pay a $1,500 annual fee plus $500 up front will have the opportunity to publish original content to the Rolling Stone website. It suggests that doing so allows members to position themselves as thought leaders and share their expertise. That message is reinforced by the council's website, which under the headline, Get Published, tells would-be members, being published in one of the best-known entertainment media outlets in the world sets you apart as a visionary leader and bold voice in your industry. Pieces already published as part of the scheme include a set of positive predictions for the future of the cannabis industry by a PR executive who represents a cannabis producer, and a piece praising the social nature of sports betting by the founder of an online sports betting community, as well as the chance to have their writing published on rollingstone.com. Other benefits offered to members include contact with a vetted network of peers in their industries and opportunities to collaborate cross-pollinate ideas and even hatch new projects. The invitation to possible members says that the scheme is strictly for those in the worlds of music, entertainment, food, beverage and you're right, cannabis. New members to recently celebrate passing its vetting process include a fund manager and a Las Vegas real estate broker who also has a business selling alcohol-infused cupcakes. The death of editorial integrity? Well, I'll leave you to judge, but I know what I think. The ultimate pay-to-play role of the dice so far? I think so. A desperate attempt to attract revenue by a dying magazine brand? Perhaps. You decide. I'll be coming, commenting further on the state of editorial photography in a future episode. But don't be uh, fooled into thinking that this isn't going to have impact on photographers as well because that lack of editorial integrity is coming to your street soon. 
I first came across the uh, work of this week's contributor to What Does Photography Mean to You when I was working on the Bill J film. So it seemed natural to uh, see his work exhibited at Phoenix Airport when I landed there for the US premiere of the film. Who am I speaking about? Well, it's Arizona-based photographer Mark Klett who studied geology at St. Lawrence University, Canton, New York, before completing his MFA in photography at the State University of New York, Buffalo. Klett states that he is interested in making work that responds to historic images, creating projects that explore relationships between time, change and perception, and exploring the language of photographic media through technology. He's received fellowships from the Guggenheim Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Pollock Krasner Foundation and the Japan-US Friendship Commission. Klett's work has been exhibited and published in the United States and internationally for over 35 years and is held, and it's held I should say, in over 80 museum collections worldwide. He is the author, co-author of 15 books, And he lives in Tempe, Arizona, where he is the Regents Professor of Art at Arizona State University. Sometimes I think the simplest questions are the hardest to answer. Grant, you asked, what does photography mean to me? I had a mentor, Michael Bishop, who used to say, photographs take me. And I thought that was a pretty good summation of how I got into photography because I didn't really think about it. I was drawn into it. I was studying geology, and one thing I liked about geology was studying stratigraphic rocks. They're rocks that are comprised of multiple layers, layers of material that were deposited at different times to create this solid object out of a very complex whole and a complex history. And when I was in college and making photographs at the same time, I began to understand that photographs were a lot like stratigraphic rocks, that they could be comprised of multiple layers. And even though they seemed simple, they were in fact comprised of many multiple layers of ideas multiple meanings. And I began to also understand that if I could learn the language of photography, that I could use it to create pictures that were more than documents, that were more than simple records of something that were in fact complex holes made from multiple layers. And I found that very rewarding and it kept pulling me into it. When I went to study photography further, I studied with Nathan Lyons, and one of the things that Nathan made sure we all understood as students was that photography was a field, what he called a field, that it was something where, as a photographer, you belonged to a larger group, and if you were going to belong to this larger group and participate in it, you had an obligation, a responsibility to say something. And you had another obligation to give back to the field and not just benefit from it. And I think that was one of the most important lessons for me about photography was that I was not simply alone, that I was actually 
participating in something bigger than myself, that was the basis of community. And community has always been important to me and, and still is. It's not a very big community, really, those of us who are practicing photographers. Uh, but I think we share certain things in common. One of them, I think, is a sense of purpose, that photography is uh, important. And the other thing is we share passion. Uh, photographers are among the most passionate people I know. And when I think about my life's trajectory now after over 40 years, if I had to do it over again, I would in an instant. Where else, what else could you ask for in a career? I guess that sums up some of my feelings about it, and I hope that will answer your question at least somewhat. Um, thanks for asking. Thank you for your contribution this week, Mark. Uh, some really key things there for me, giving back, passion, and community. And your three key words that certainly go a long way to explain my personal relationship with photography. So thanks very much, Mark, for doing that. I also very much like that uh, the reference there to Nathan Lyon, uh, a photographer perhaps not quite so well known in the UK, but certainly well worth checking out. And his uh, kind of reference there to using the word field that we're working in. Just whilst we're on the um, what does photography mean to you? I need to make an apology. It's a second apology since I started the podcast. So um, not too bad, but always um, not good when you make a mistake. I made a mistake last week and I suggested and I said that John Bulmer was married to my Zetterling, the uh, film director. Of course he wasn't. John is still married to his wife, Angela Connor, um, who was a sculptor. So my apologies to John for making that mistake. It was actually a, a cut and paste typing error on my uh, rather rough crib sheet that I use every week. So my apologies to John and um, I hope he wasn't too offended by that. And I hope my wasn't either. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to talk about also this week was um, I was giving a talk to the Munich School of Applied Arts uh, last week. And at the end of my uh, lecture, a question came from one of the students. I have to say, there's some really good questions that came up at the end of the lecture to about um, 60, 70 students, if I uh, remember rightly. And this particular student was uh, is completing a piece of work concerning the rise of Instax prints and cameras um, amongst teenagers, particularly in the United States. And he asked me uh, what I thought about that and whether or not I thought it was a trend or, or just a fa passing fashion. What I said to him was that I thought perhaps it was. It's not something I'm hugely aware of. But what it did make me think about was the emotional um, relationship that we have with the, the printed artefact, that idea of the image becoming, uh, I suppose, in our hands, something that we can keep and that we can relate to and that we can return to without the use of a device. We could put it into an album or we could put it into a frame or just put it into a box. And I wondered whether or not that's what was leading this, that idea that we have of nostalgia. 
the, the nostalgia, nostalgic aesthetic of that Instax, which to all intents and purposes, of course, is a Polaroid, a lower quality Polaroid. And then I started to think about, well, perhaps that's where we are with the photo book at the moment. I'm seeing so many photographers create so many photo books. I wonder also if that's tied in with that emotional relationship that um, photographers have with the print. I think it's something that's quite interesting to explore. And it's certainly I'm going to give a lot of thought to. And if it hadn't have been for that student questioning me on it, I wouldn't be having that time to think about it. And it just goes to show that importance of questioning, debate and discussion and dialogue. Speaking of which, just uh, finishing off this week with the usual reminder that the book, What Does Photography Mean to You?, uh, featuring 89 professional award-winning photographers from around the world, explaining what photography means to them, is available. It uh, comes from this podcast, obviously, the podcast become book, and it's available at £9.99, as many of you probably already know, from bluecoatpress.co.uk. That's £9.99 plus post and packaging. Um, now we've got through January, I hope a lot of you have managed to get your tax returns off. Uh, it may You may be feeling a little light in the pocket, but if you can uh, spare a few pounds for that book, um, I guarantee that it will be money well spent and very rewarding. As the lockdown continues in the UK, um, it's not been an easy month for a lot of us to get through, but let's hope that the weather's going to start to get a little bit better and we can start to see a future. Uh, I hope a lot of you are finding that your family members are getting vaccinated and are taking care. I hope that you're taking care of yourself also and learning to work and deal with the situation that we've all been put into, um, not by choice, um, as well as can be. The idea of this podcast has always been from the very first moment I thought of doing it as an arm around the shoulder. And at this time, I really do think that that's an important thing that we all do to each other in whatever format we can through social distancing. The only way I can do it is through this podcast and my weekly reminder to just take care. Mm -hmm.